This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Proverbs chapter 3 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. This portion of Proverbs uh, gives us the reason to believe that, that God is the most loving, most gracious, most benevolent being that could ever be, uh, and, and it frames for us just how amazing the gift of Jesus Christ and, and really the Christian life is. Uh, I, I understand that kind of this is, this is a lot to say right off the, the bat. I'm not going to kind of start with any just kind of personal story or illustration. I'm just going to get into it this morning. And so as we're all getting oriented, let me just say that again. Uh, where we go in Proverbs 3 this morning, we are shown the unmatchable grace of God and, and just the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. And so let me build just kind of a little chain, little ladder, I, I think we'll call it, that, that if, if, if we kind of understand where we're going, the rungs up this ladder will help us with the rest of Proverbs 3. So this is just kind of a starting place. Uh, as you're going to read, the, the most important word in these verses that we studied this morning comes right away. So we pick it up in verse 13, and right there it says uh, in verse 13 of Proverbs 3, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. The Hebrew word translated the one is the Hebrew word Adam, which is funny because that's my name. Uh, and so here's what I'm never sure about. When I, when, I, when I learned Hebrew and I learned that my name means, uh, it literally means the man, I just didn't know if my parents were super unoriginal or just really overconfident. I mean, did they look at me and say like, man, that baby's the man. That's awesome. That's what we're going to call him. Or did they look at me and be like, I mean, he's a male. That way we won't confuse him with any future kids we have. We'll just call him the man. So that, that, it's my name, but that's, that's literally what it means is just the man. And so as we look at this, it says, blessed is the one, blessed is the man who finds wisdom. It, it tells us already something profound. It, it, it so widens things up. It, it so expands who this uh, scripture is for that right away that we, we can know that we're talking to anybody. And by the way, when, when scripture says the man, it, it doesn't just mean males. It means mankind. And so that, that's the first part of this little thought ladder is this is something for anybody. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Uh, the second if you go down to verses 19, 20, tell us that the kind of wisdom we're talking about is nothing less than the same wisdom God uses to create the world. So verse 19 says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. So anyone, so it includes me and you, can have wisdom, and the kind of wisdom we can have it is so powerful that it existed, it's existed forever in the mind of God, and when he was creating everything, this is the mechanism, this is the means by which he used to create all that exists, is this wisdom. And that doesn't mean that by having the wisdom of God, you can know everything, as God does, but it does help us to see the accessibility, not just of kind of a worldly wisdom, not just a man-made or a man-affirmed wisdom, but the wisdom of God is accessible to anyone who seeks after it. Okay, so those are, the, those are the first two rungs. Anybody can have wisdom. The kind of wisdom that you can have is that which is so powerful that God used to create the universe, the world. And the final rung on the ladder 
is Jesus Christ. I'll show you why, but first, just kind of quickly recap. Not just common wisdom, wisdom of God. And the most spectacular part of that is God doesn't just use it to keep it for himself. He says, you can have this kind of wisdom. God doesn't give wisdom and then remove himself from this place. God doesn't, God doesn't say, I'm going to set these kind of things in motion and I'm not going to be involved anymore. He comes very near to us in wisdom. And we see that most specifically in Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus Christ came to be with us as the very wisdom of God. But it actually doesn't just stop there and just say that. It says, for anyone who looks to Jesus Christ and worships him as God, he's not just wisdom from God to this person. He actually becomes, and then it uses three words. It says he becomes our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And those are three words that mean when we live our lives for Jesus Christ, the wisdom from God incarnate, through that, God declares our sin paid for. He transfers our allegiance to him and his kingdom, and he guarantees a place for us next to him forever. So that's what we talk about when we say the one who finds wisdom. We mean that it's the kind of wisdom that can lead to life forever and ever and ever. And the reason that I wanted to tell you all that before we've even kind of read much of the scripture is because as we work through this passage, it's all in here. That's what God does for us. I wanted you to have that in your minds. This is what God works through and does for us by grace. And where we go with the rest of the passage is looking at what is created then, not just around us, but within us. So you can kind of say it like this. That's what grace, the the first part is what grace does for us. What we talk about in the rest of Proverbs 3 is what grace does in us. So there's what grace does for us, and the rest of this is what grace does in us. Uh, At one point, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, says that he is so compelled by the grace of God that he's willing to lay everything else in his life down in the hopes that as many people as possible would hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he says, I endure all things. By that he means hardships, and and he's beaten lots of times, so many times that he can't count. He's imprisoned. He goes in famine. At one point, he's shipwrecked. Uh, It's not at all a stretch to say that the Apostle Paul gives up the freedom of his life to stay captive because he believes that that would be better for the cause of Christ. And so there's what grace does to us, and then there's what grace does in us. And that's what grace does, is it so radically changes the way you see the world, so radically changes the way even you view your own life, that the things you used to see as important, the things that the world places value in, they they now should seem small and insignificant but the things that come from God are of infinite value to us. So much so that we'll lay down what the rest of the world would prize 
to have just what's common in heaven. That's the reversal. What the rest of the world prizes, we should now find common because what people don't often care about is life after this world is our prize. That's why Christians are so distinct from the world, or at least we, we should be. Because our whole frame of reference for what we're doing in the world is changed by the grace of God. Uh, and, the, and these verses kind of help us to see the kind of change that the, the grace of God generates. And so uh, we'll do this just in three parts. Uh, the first thing we see in the first block of verses, uh, the grace of God is in, enriches us in immeasurable ways. The grace of God immeasurably enriches our lives. Uh, so the writer says, don't sell the grace of God short. Don't, don't take the grace of God for granted. Uh, it's possible to waste. It's, it's even possible to abuse the grace of God. Let's not do that. Second part, God's grace brings clarity. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are going to distract you in the world. Don't be confused. The grace of God leads to true life. And then the last section we're shown how God's free love toward us shows us, uh, the, shows us the better way of blessing other people. Especially when, when they have nothing that we need in return. And so here's these three. God's grace enriches, it clarifies, and it shows us the way of selfless love. Enriches, clarifies, and shows us the way of selfless love. So first, let's look at verse 13. We're going to read all these verses uh, just kind of in a few different blocks, but let's start in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are, or hold her fast are called blessed. So we've already said that by inviting the one who finds wisdom into blessing, this is, this is an offer extended far and wide. So this is an offer not for meetings of secret clubs that are by sort of an, an invitation only. And all the things people chase after in the world are kind of right here. But the author says that wisdom surpasses them all. So we just ask, what do people want? What are they after? Well, people want to be rich because they think money will bring them security. That's in here. People want health because they want to live a long life without getting sick and they don't want to suffer. And people want peace. They don't want life to be hard. Those are three of the biggest things that people want. They want to be rich, they want to be healthy, and they want their life to go smoothly. And the wise teacher here says that if you go looking for these things in the world, all you will find is cheap, temporary imitations of them. Money, money is the perfect example. People think that money buys them happiness. They think it will buy them security. They think maybe it just makes everything fun. But here's the thing. Money's fake. 
we know deep down that all money can really do beyond by a few of life's most basic necessities is distract us when we're otherwise unhappy or unsatisfied. That's why wisdom is so much more precious than money. Listen, the value of silver or gold changes every day. Every day, silver or gold are worth something different. How many of you own Bitcoin, right? Every day, that has a different value. Money can be taken away. Money can be lost. Not wisdom, though. Wisdom, once gained, in the grace of God, is held. And by wisdom, we can learn what truly matters in life. That's how it can be said that there's pleasantness and peace in wisdom, but not in riches. So look at verse 18 one more time. She, kind of a personified wisdom, is a tree of life for those who lay hold of her. So the worst thing, the absolute worst thing that you could do with your life is finish it without knowing wisdom. And again, here, as it is throughout the whole Bible, we already read this in 1 Corinthians 1, Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate in the fullest expression of God's grace toward his people. And so, when we can learn to be totally dependent, not on money or peace or, or our own well-being, but on the grace and, and therefore the wisdom of God, we've learned how to truly live. So without God's grace, we have no hope. But thanks be to God, he gives us everything we need for hope by grace. So then the right response to grace is to do what it says in verse 18. And that's to hold really tightly to it. Hold really tightly to grace. How do we do that? The, the, the picture here, I think, is, is really helpful. It's, it's holding on to wisdom and it's holding on to grace. That's what we're told to do, which are spiritual gifts. And so I, I was sort of asking myself, well, hold, how do I describe to us holding on? And actually, how do we do that? How do we hold on to something that isn't physical, it's spiritual? How can we tell if grace is, is, is slipping? And here's, here's where I think the metaphor really can be of benefit to us. If we want to hold on to grace, we find the most gracious thing that we can, and then metaphorically, we grab onto that. And the single greatest point of grace the world has ever seen is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if the question then is, how do we hold on to grace? The answer is, we grab hold of the cross with both hands, we hug it tight, and we refuse to let go. We say, this thing right here, what Christ did on the cross, I'm going to clutch that, and I'm going to hug it for everything that I am clinging to it for dear life. When I say that, some of you who know your hymnal will say, isn't there a hymn about that? And why, yes, why, yes, there is. It's even more help. Part of clinging to the cross in the hymn, the old rugged cross, basically says that if you're going to cling to the cross, do you know this hymn? You have to lay and be willing to lay everything that's going to compete with it down. 
And so you'll have to lay down wealth. You'll have to lay down prosperity and success in the world. But when you do, you'll quickly realize, and it'll happen fast, that the cross is so much better and greater still than any of those things. And then just like the end of the hymn says, one day you get to exchange the cross for the glory of a crown. If you want to hold on to grace, grab onto the cross of Christ with both hands. You can't have one hand on the cross and one hand in the world, on the world. That actually leads us into our second way that, that God grace, God's grace works in us is, is it brings clarity to our lives. Second thing is clarity. If, if the goal is wisdom, then it's God's grace that will actually show us what our priorities should be and what they should not be. So again, let's just pick these up in verse 19 where we, where we left off before. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped dew down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So here's what this is saying. Don't forget that wisdom originates with God. And again, it's the tool he uses to accomplish all of his good purposes in the world. And the incredible thing is that he offers it to you. There's plenty of things that will call out for your attention in the world. They'll say, use me instead. Don't do it God's way, do it the world's way. Do it some other way. But we need to keep our eyes locked on God, who again is the originator and gracious giver of wisdom. So verse 19, wisdom starts in the mind of God, and and everything that comes after that is because God decreed that it would be so. And and think about what this would be the exact opposite of. Some people would want us to believe that everything exists here by chance. We just kind of started from some primordial sort of soup, and out of that by a basically random set of circumstances, life emerged here on this planet. It's all random. It's all luck kind of against the odds. But here we're told it it isn't luck at all. There's actually a grand plan from the mind of the all-knowing, wise God. And the plan from this God isn't just to create and then remove, create and then leave. It's It's to set in motion with him still at the center, all the ways that life in the world works. So verse 20 uses rain as a metaphor. Essentially to say there's rain 
because God decrees that it would be rain. And it seems something just kind of so innocuous, something so simple, something so basic to the needs of the world, that continues because God is so involved in the world that even the most basic of worldly processes are still under the control of God. He still is actively involved in sustaining his creation. And then look at verse 21. The way of wisdom is not to lose sight and feel like there's something else that we need to be successful in life apart from the grace of God. A, a, a fear that every person has to some degree is what if the worst happens? And then what if I'm not only in the worst, but what if I'm alone in it? I'll have that fear. What if the worst happens and what if I'm alone in it? What do I do if something terrible happens and I can't do something about it? What do I do when, when I don't know what to do? In the essence, that's the essence of, of what these verses are asking. And, and it's in verse 26 that kind of comes back to those questions, says back to those questions, when you cling to God, he will be there with you and he will help you. Commentator Bruce Waltke says, that at, in verse 26, that the Lord will be your confidence can also be translated as the Lord will be at your side. This is what the entire New Testament confirms. Wisdom from God is not just an impersonal idea. Jesus Christ is a real flesh and blood Savior who is present in our lives. And it's Jesus' presence that, that shows us what's in this third section, uh, which is that God's grace for in, in, unfolds for us uh, a better way of love. Uh, if we view the wisdom of God through which he created the world and, and is, is giving us constant companionship uh, as something that we have access to, something that brings us life, uh, but also something that's reserved only for us, kind of that only we're supposed to have, we've actually completely misunderstood it. So God's grace is available to you. God's wisdom is accessible to you, but it was never meant to terminate on you. It was never meant to end on you. It was al it's always meant to continue to go out to more and more people. It's meant to keep going through us. So look at what it says in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and, and come again tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. I want to really stop there for just a couple of minutes. We'll do the last few verses at the end. Uh, so this is what the grace of God should do in us. Here's what it does. Here's what it should do. It created the world. Through, God, through wisdom, God made you. And now this is the work of grace that God is meant to do through you and in you. There's all kinds of things just listed right here. First, it says that God means to do good through you. 
Ephesians says that he prepared good works in advance that you might walk in them. But look at how verse 27 says this. Very, very kind of strange way of saying it, but it, it, it really does unfold for us. It really does open up to us how radical the grace of God is for us to be given toward other people. So look at what it says in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. So there's a way in God's economy where you actually have something, but it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. And God's given it to you so you can give it to them. You see that right there? To whom it is due. Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due. Not just from those who you could give it to. Or those if you were so moved and if they were maybe kind to you and if you developed a relationship with them, then you would have the option of giving it to them. No, no, no. From those to whom it is due. So it's actually theirs. But God's given it to you so that you might know the grace of giving it on to them. Do you see how this is a higher burden of love? Listen, so the state... The state can require you to to pay taxes. Just kind of go with this or something like that. The state can require us to do certain things. But after that, after you've kind of been legally taxed on these things, you own everything that you have and, and it's yours to do with it as you please in the way that the world works. But here God's saying there's a better way. He's entrusted to you things for the expressed purpose that you would move them on to other people. It can be physical things. It can be his love, his grace, his mercy, compassion. And so it actually works this way. You might think that there are things that are yours. And they might be yours for a little while. But there's comes, there comes a time when they no longer belong to you. They are due, owed to be given to somebody else. And you're only going to be able to see it that way if you have truly looked at and marveled at the grace of God. And when you do that, you will see a couple of things. First, you have nothing good to give God, but he gives you everything in return anyways. That's what the good news of Jesus tells us. We have nothing good or of value to God but he gives us everything that he is anyways. You can't possibly pay him. We've we've, we've talked here. God created the world. He created you. You can't possibly repay him for that, but he did it anyway. You have nothing to give that might earn you forgiveness from your sin, yet he, he saves you. He exchanges the life of his own dear son for your life. That's how you're saved. You do nothing to merit that. He just gives it to you. And even after you've been saved, he continues, you continue to sin sometimes. Yet he says there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he says, because life's uncertain, I'm going to send my spirit to you so that you can walk in him and know greater peace and have greater certainty. He doesn't withhold anything from us. So to do things his way is not 
withholding things from others as well. He has given us things so that we can give them to other people. So the last thing he says here is don't diffuse my grace. You could do it like this. Three words. These verses basically tell us, do not abuse the grace of God, do not confuse the grace of God, do not diffuse the grace of God. There's this language here, violence and envy and harming your neighbor when he's done nothing to you. And the, the point that the writer's making is there's the way that will seem good to the world. It will seem like you're getting ahead. You will know somebody who will lie, who will cheat, who will steal something, who will defame another person, who will take credit for work that they hasn't done. You will know somebody. You will know many people probably like that. And what you will be tempted to do is to say, look at how this person is getting ahead. Should I too seek to get ahead that way? Christian, do not fall for that trap. That is not the way of grace and it is not the way of love. Instead, you cling to the cross. Resist that urge and grab tightly onto the cross. It might not be violence, but you will be tempted to withhold good from other people. You will have the ability to help and your first instinct will be often to ask, but what does this mean for me? But won't this make things difficult for me? But this isn't this thing mine. You'll, you'll even see the people getting ahead by dishonesty. But don't fall into the trap. The more you do that, the more you ask, but isn't this mine? The more you entertain the idea of, shouldn't I also get ahead this way? the farther you will move away from the heart and the mind of God. The less you will be able to understand grace, and the shallower, hollower you will actually become. You might think you're getting more of life. That way you're actually getting less of it. It might even seem like a good idea for a little while, but its end is destruction. And I, I don't mean that to sound dramatic. That's what the Bible says. So let's these last few verses say. Look at verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he's scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools disgrace. Fools are the ones who say in their heart there's no God, or fools are the ones who say the way of God is not right. Uh, the New Testament translates verse, thir verse 34 uh, in a way that you're probably a little bit more familiar with. It's, it's in both James uh, 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5. There it, it picks up Proverbs 3, 34, and it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It will never look this way to the world. But it's so much better to be humble than it is to be proud. If you feel that you are falling behind because you are embracing the cross, which let's just call it what it is, 
the way of the cross, the way of Christ, is foolishness to most people. Folks, this is foolishness to most people. You know a lot of people who think that your time here, your investment here, your fellowship here, if you give money here, they think that's foolish. They think you are being duped. They think you have fallen for the oldest gag and the oldest grift in the book. Don't believe it. Believe that God's grace is on you if you will humble yourself and turn to him. We've already quoted 1 Corinthians 1. That whole chapter and into 2 is about how foolish Christ looks to the world, but how wise he looks to God. And you are the same way. You will look foolish to the world if you sell yourself out for Christ, if you are all in for Christ. But to God, that is the way of wisdom. And so that's the plea of, of Proverbs 3 here this morning. It's my plea for all of us. May we be a church that looks so foolish to the world that we are so alive to God that he would delight in us and he would honor us, but not so that we would sit here and revel in our own glory and our own delight and our own honor, but that we would find ways to give that honor and glory away to other people, that we would serve other people, and in so doing that, help others to see what is the true reversal, the foolishness of the world and the wisdom of the cross of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, may we be a church that clings to the cross, that where our friends and family think, what a bunch of suckers. We would love you, refuse to embrace the way of the world, honor you that you might lift us up, and in doing so, would you shame the wise, would you shame the proud, humble them, and draw them in to your grace. God, may the grace of God not terminate on us. May we be people of grace and give it away so freely that and whatever else we might do that would honor you. That we would be a people wholly sold out, all in for your glory and your, in the sake of your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.